If you have a copy of God's Word with you, I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and following as we continue looking at this matter of prayer. Uh, We've been talking about prayer for several weeks. We've been looking together at this matter as one of the foundational parts of the Christian experience that we as believers will undergo or, or undertake several different practices and prayer is one of those. It marks the life of the believer that we would spend time talking to God. But why do we pray? I didn't put it in, uh, on the screen or, or uh, in your notes this week, but we've given a statement of affirmation for the last several weeks saying this very simply, I pray for three reasons. Number one, to know God. Number two, to lay my request before God. And number three, to find daily direction for my life. And that is a, a critical affirmation for us to say every time that I pray, I acknowledge that I need Him. And so I get to know Him a little better. And as I get to know Him, then I begin to lay requests before Him and He steers my life. Very, very important for us to look at that together. Let's read Matthew 6, beginning of verse 5. And I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this model prayer, for Jesus leading us toward a a focus that would help us in our intimacy with you, a focus that would help us to reach out to you, to know you better. God, I pray that we would see how important it is for our prayer life to reflect your glory and for our lives to reflect that glory. God, may you be honored today as we share from your word. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would preach, and that all of us would glean truth from your word that would encourage and uh, challenge and inspire, correct, and help us to maintain this Christian walk. Thank you, Lord, for each and every person here. I pray your blessings on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you to see something kind of interesting. If you think about this matter of prayer, it's all focused on His glory. In fact, if you look at the the way that this model prayer is laid out, there are three different uh, petitions that are given that are about our needs, but it doesn't start there. It starts with three petitions directed at His glory. Let's look at those together. We'll put them on the screen. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
and your will be done. So immediately, Jesus said, when you pray, pray focusing on the Heavenly Father and say, Lord, may your name be honored as holy. Uh, May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And then from His glory, we move to three petitions regarding our own needs. Look at these. Give us bread, forgive us our sins, and lead us not into temptation. All of these, though, are focused on the glory of God. Why? I believe that if you look at these, every single one of these is a a promise, if you will, that has already been given by God. But think about this. I'll borrow the words from John MacArthur when he began to lay out some thoughts about how we see God in each and every one of those uh, petitions. Let's look at these together just very quickly. We'll scroll through them. When we say our Father, you know what we're doing? We're acknowledging God as our source. When we look at that and say, God, you are our Father. When we say, hallowed be thy name, we're acknowledging Him as sacred. We're looking at Him and saying, God, we believe that you are to be honored above all else. When we acknowledge Him as our source and then as sacred, we move forward in that and we say, your kingdom come. And when we do that, we're acknowledging Him as sovereign. Now, you, you don't have to write all these down. I, we'll put them on the website later and you can see them. But I just want you to listen through it. God, you are our source. God, you are sacred. Lord, you are sovereign over all things. When we say, thy will be done, what we're saying is we're acknowledging you as superior over all things. We talked about that last week. Your way is best. When we say to him, give us this day daily bread, we're acknowledging him as a supplier. We're saying, Lord, everything that we have comes from your hand. And we need you as our source of supply. We also ask of Him to forgive our sins. When we do that, we acknowledge Him as Savior. We move forward and finally, and I love this, and this will be our focus today. When we come to this last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we acknowledge God as a shelter. It is an unbelievable cry to say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're crying out much like the psalmist who cried out that God would be a refuge and a strength and a strong tower. Have you ever found yourself just longing to be in the presence of the Lord, sheltered away from the troubles of the world? I I heard reports and saw pictures all week last week on Facebook of people who were hunkered down in shelters. Some of them were in their bathtub. Some of them were in an interior hallway or in a closet as the storm passed by. But the picture, very simply from Scripture, is that God is a shelter. And when we seek Him as such, we cry out to Him as such, we begin to see that He wants to be that for us. He longs to be that. And Jesus told us to pray that way. So we'll move into that in just a moment. But as we think about that idea, I want you to grab this from the corporate perspective. Don't miss the corporate component of our prayers. Write that down if you will. Think about it. Our Father, give us, lead us. There's a corporate component to this prayer. And here's my question to you today, church. What do you pray for? For other believers? You you begin to think about this. What do you pray for for other Christians? What do you pray for for your kids or for your grandkids? When I begin to think about my prayer life, oftentimes I, I start with those that are not Christians and I begin to say, well, obviously I pray that God would become their Savior, that they would trust Him, that they would be uh, regenerated and brought to new life. And, but, but beyond that, what do you pray 
Sometimes we just pray for shelter. We pray for happiness and health. And we pray that God would make sure that nothing bad comes into our lives. But I want us to look at this idea of temptation today. And and as we think about that, there, there are really three things that we see from this prayer that have been told to us that we are to pray for materially. Let's show this. Materially, we need bread. Spiritually, we need forgiveness. And morally, we need protection. So let me ask you, are these the kinds of things that you're praying forward for your kids, for your grandkids, for your neighbors, for this church? Are you asking God to meet the needs of the people of this church, but then to give them moral protection? You see, I don't want to do anything in my life that would bring shame or reproach or embarrassment to the name of God. I don't know about you, but I distrust myself because I know me. I'm not asking if you distrust me. I'm asking you if you distrust you. Let's get that straight. I know my own heart, and maybe you know your own heart. You know your weaknesses. You know your points of vulnerability. And and I find it strange that Jesus would ask us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Because we know other places in Scripture deal with this very idea. In fact, it says in the book of James, don't say that when you're being tested or being tempted, that you're being tempted by God. For God is neither tempted by evil, nor does He tempt us. God doesn't want to lead you into a circumstance where you would sin. So what does this mean? This idea of God leading us not into temptation. Well, again, I believe that very simply we can see that in a very general sense, He's crying out for protection. This is coming from the the life of Jesus, but He knew that our greatest uh, weakness is that, that we are prone to stray like sheep. And because of that weakness, we would turn away from the Lord. As we turn away from the Lord here He is helping us to understand temptation is going to come. In fact, in James, in another place, in James 1, we see we're to count it joy when we face trials. So which is it, church? Are we recognizing that God might lead us to a place where we would sin, and then the Bible says later that God will not tempt us to sin? How do you reconcile those in your mind? Well, I am glad you asked that question. That's why we're here this morning. I want us to work through this together and begin to see the reality of temptation. One interesting note, the word temptation and the word trial here in the Greek language is the same word. And it's neutral. It's not morally good or bad. But the temptation is this this opportunity that presses itself toward a response. And when it does, we may move toward sin. We may move toward righteousness. God does test our faith at times, but He does not put us into situations uh, with the, the intent to create sin or lust in our hearts to make us sin. I love this as I think about God being our covering wing and our hiding place, our refuge. I, I ran down about 20 different verses and, and began to think about this. Listen to the words of the psalmist. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Listen to Psalm 27, 5. For in the day of trouble, He will conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of His tent, He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And so the psalmist cried out with his heart's cry, I need protection. 
And I believe Jesus is saying to you and to me when he says that we are to pray that God would not bring us into temptation. Lord, I know that trials will come. I know that temptations will come. But I know my heart of weakness. And I am clinging to you and asking of you, don't let me get to the place where I'm overwhelmed, where I'm overcome, or when I'm dragged away by my own desire. You see, one other verse that helps give clarity to this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And very simply it's this, that when we are facing temptation, there will be a way out because God will not put on us more than we can bear in the area of temptation. I think it's important for us to clarify. Many people misquote that verse and they're going through struggles and difficulties and they say, well, I know it's going to end soon or it's going to lighten up soon because God won't put on me more than I can bear. But he's talking about temptation. He is simply saying he will not put on you some temptation that you cannot refuse. If he did that, he would not be a just God. God is a just God and he provides for us a way of escape from every temptation. I heard about a lady that had come home with a a $750 dress and her husband just about had a coronary. He said, I cannot believe that you would pay that kind of money for this dress. And I know that's been a weakness of yours. You like to shop, but you should have stood firm and resisted that. Could you not have said, get thee behind me, Satan. And she said, I did. I said those very words. And he said, but you still bought the dress. And she said, because he whispered in my ear, it looks good from back there too. (laughs) God has provided for us a way of escape when we are tempted. And when Jesus tells you and me, and those hearers there on the Sermon on the Mount, pray this way. Lord, do not lead me into temptation. This is prayed from a heart that understands your own weakness. God, I don't want to do anything that would bring reproach to your name. Now church, I want you to see this this morning. This may be one of the single most practical application messages that I ever preached to you, more action verbs for you to walk away with than any that I've preached since I've been here because I want you to see this goes to the very heart of our Christian life. The idea of battling temptation, the idea of saying no to sin and being reckoned dead to sin and alive to God is at the heart of what we are to do as Christians. And here in this magnificent avenue of prayer, we are given the opportunity to cry out to God and say, Oh God, even in my cooperating effort to stay away from sin, I'm asking you to watch over me as a shelter, as a refuge, as that tabernacle that I can run to. So I want you to look at this together. J.I. Packer said that life is a spiritual minefield. Amid such dangers, we dare not trust ourselves. Father, keep us safe. So there's something shocking about this at some level that we would be called to pray that kind of prayer. Lord, we need you not to lead us that way. So it goes to another question. Where does sin come from? Where does sin come from? Well, it comes from our own lusts, our own desires. Several years ago, there was a movie. I I hope we've got this picture that we'll we'll show for us. Several years ago, there was a movie that Disney put together. It was called A Bug's Life. Anybody remember A Bug's Life? 
And there were two little moths that were flying around. And as they were flying around, have we got that picture, Howell? Yes, no? Very good. I didn't see that one. There was one bug that said to his friend, don't look at the light. Don't look at the light. Don't look at the light. And he said as he was magnetically drawn toward it, I can't help myself. It's so beautiful. Zap. It was a bug zapper. If you spend any time in the country or been around a bug zapper, just constant. And you would think that bugs would be smarter than that. You would think they would say, you know what, I'm not going near that thing. I saw what Harry did yesterday and Harry is no longer with us. Harry's not flying anymore. Tragically, you would think that in human terms, we would be smarter than that. But every single day you read the newspaper and what do you see? Political leaders, zap. Preachers and ministers, zap. Husbands, zap. Their family crumbles apart as they give themselves to some temptation. The Bible says that we are tempted by our own lust and we are dragged away. It's sort of like a fishing lure. It's thrown before that fish over and over again and finally it piques its curiosity and it takes the bait. And you and I take the bait of the evil one oftentimes not because God has forced us or made us. No, we understand God said He has made a way of escape but you and I are prone to that because of our own desires. And so it's important for us today, church, to see that we need to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power, that we would put on the full armor of God. Why? Because we do have an enemy. We have one that is bigger and stronger than us and smarter than us. And He has devoted time and energy uh, marshalling the resources of hell in an effort to draw you and me into sin. Why? Because sin cuts against the very heart of the glory of God. Go back to how I started this. Every one of the petitions in this prayer are centered on the glory of God. And when you and I sin, we're living beneath the privilege we have of full access with the Father. When we walk by the Spirit and we put on the armor of God and we train our hearts and our minds to say no to sin, there's still a place where we need to cry out. And that's what Jesus said here. Simply crying out, Father, be my shelter. Deliver me from The evil one. I want to give you today three uh, very quick thoughts. These are keys for praying for deliverance. Let's look at these together. Number one, temptation will come to everyone. Expect it. Temptation will come to everyone. Expect it. This is one of the most fundamentally important things I can tell you. You better expect that it's going to come. Recognize that temptation is all around you. In fact, John Piper said it this way, every step we take is a step into the presence of temptation. There is no moment in your life that is not a moment of temptation. And he defined it this way, a moment when unbelief and disobedience is not possible. Some of you say, well, I just don't face too many temptations. Well, you better check your pulse. If you are living, if you are alive, then you're facing temptation. It's all around us. So one of the best things that you can do, one of the first things that you can do, one of the most fundamental things you can do is just to expect it. Realize that temptation will come. Temptation is not sin, but being aware of it and recognizing the spiritual battle is part of why I believe Jesus would tell us to pray this way. God, I need your deliverance because there is an enemy and I will be tempted. And when I'm taken into areas of testing, 
Are, are, are tests good for us in the spiritual sense? Certainly. They have a sanctifying process. James said that. And, and, and Peter as well. That after we've suffered for a little while that God would perfect us. So there's a place for those tests in our lives. But we're saying, Lord, don't let me get out on the edge in the middle of this test and do anything that would bring shame or reproach to your name. Now I want you to hear this. If you ever say these words, nobody knows what I'm going through. I want you to hear this. You are wrong. I know so many people have said that, Brother Scott, I, I, I got caught up in this addiction. I got caught up in this affair. I got caught up in this embezzlement. I, I've dealt with all three of those. I've dealt from, from drug and, and alcohol addictions to people who were unfaithful on their spouses to people who were unfaithful at their workplace. In all three of those, none of them set out to say, I think I'll ruin my family today. I think I'll throw my life away today. I think I will give my life to this drug. I think I will give my livelihood away at the chance of getting a little bit of extra money. They didn't start there. No, the temptation was this easy lure towards something appealing. It was the light. Don't look at it. But the thing you need to do is recognize it is common. In fact, it's so common that Jesus Himself is the one that makes it common to all. If we were to look in the book of Hebrews, it says very simply these words, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. I love this. With our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way that we are and yet without sin. I don't know about you, but that is absolutely amazing to me. There's nothing that I'm faced with when it comes to temptation that Jesus has not already conquered. Amen? My choir's with me. Thank you, guys. Let me say that really quickly again. Hear me. There's nothing that I will face in temptation that Jesus has not already conquered. Amen. There you go. That, that, that makes me want to shout. Why would I want to shout? Because it is common. Jesus took on human flesh and He understands my pain. He understands my heartache. He understands the temptations that are around and He overcame them. And when you and I begin to say, they're going to come, expect them, but know that Jesus has already conquered them, we're well on our way to victory in the Lord. Secondly, I want you to see this. Not only do you need to recognize that it will come and expect it, Recognize that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. Believe it. The first one is expected and now believe it. So very important. I've already mentioned 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'll say it this way. If you ever say that that temptation was too strong, I had to give in, you're calling God a liar. Strong words I know. But it's the truth. Very important for us to see that God will not put on you temptation that you cannot say no to and He has not yet provided a way of escape. So that leads us to our third and final point that I want us to look at this morning. God will provide a way of escape. Take it. Take that way of escape. Sometimes it means running. Sometimes it just simply means resisting. Resist the devil and he will flee. Sometimes you just need to get away. But I would say this, if you're going to pray, Lord, do not lead me into temptation, you better keep yourself out of the way of places and people that will cause you to stumble. Amen? Alcoholics make terrible bartenders. They don't need to put themselves in that position. 
And the reality is, if you are going to be wife, I want everyone in this place to know that I love my wife above and beyond any other human being on the face of this planet because Jesus gave her to me to be the primary relationship in my life other than the relationship to God and then to my church family. And I want to honor that relationship. So I try to do all that I can to be wise in what I look at and where I allow myself to go. And I want that to be in every area of my life. And I pray for us as a church family, we would begin to look for the way of escape. And I'm not talking about big, uh, gross, over-the-top, in-your-face temptations of sin. No, it's a subtle thing. It might be a, a racial joke. It might be some form of prejudice. It might be in an off-color joke. It might be a temptation to gossip about someone. In all of those areas, look for the way of escape and say, I'm not going to do that because that does not honor God. You see, all of this must go back to that very first statement that I made. Our lives should bring glory and honor to Jesus. And our prayers ought to be central uh, uh, the, the, the glory of God should be central to our prayer life and to our lives. Take that way of escape. So let me give you one, one more word about that and then I'm going to give you three tools that you can take home today. The words of another commentator that I think you should do well to hear. I know that I have to be tested 1 Peter 5.10, after you've suffered a little while, the Lord will make you perfect. I know James 1, I have to count it all joy when I fall into various trials because they have a perfecting work. I know that I cannot be made mature apart from suffering. I know that someday there's a crown, but before the crown there's a cross. I know that I'll have to suffer and suffering takes me to the edge of my faith. I know that after I've suffered a little while, I'll be made perfect, but suffering is hard for me to bear, Lord. And it takes me to the edge of my faith and I know that I have to reach the world and I know that I need to win unbelievers and I know that I have to get close to the fire and the corruption to try to be unspotted. So Lord, when I pray this prayer to you, I'm asking, keep these things tests that perfect me and don't let them become temptations that destroy me. That's how you pray into the future. Pray that for your kids. Lord, I pray that my kids would look more and more like Jesus. And I know that they're going to go through testing and trials and temptations and struggles. But as they do, keep them, Lord. Let them move toward you, not away from you. Let them not be overwhelmed. So you and I, in this corporate prayer, need to pray for one another's perfection. I'm praying for each of you that you would look more and more and more like Jesus all the time. And I would ask you to pray that for me. And as a church family, when we do that, it will be reflected in Hattiesburg, in the Pine Belt, and to our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. Three tools that you need, or three weapons, very quickly. How do you find the way out? Number one, the strength of joy. I want you to circle the word joy there in your listening guide. Hear these words. Joylessness will always set us up for vulnerability to sin and disobedience. One writer put it this way, failure to attain deeply satisfying life in Jesus has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. At the missions conference this weekend, we sang a song. It was just the joy of the Lord. And it said these words. It said, in the darkness I will dance and in the shadows I will sing because the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
we, we hear those words, the words of the, the writer of Proverbs, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But think about that. When I find complete satisfaction in Him and joy in Him, sin is not as alluring. It's not as shiny. It's not as tempting. It's not as bright. And for you and for me, we need to cultivate joy in the Lord. Amen? Very simple tool. Cultivate joy. Stop grumbling and complaining and whining. Philippians 2.14 ought to just be a mantra in some of our homes. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. You can't grumble and praise God in the same breath. Number two, I want you to see this. The wisdom of accountability. The second way out of temptation is very simply that God provides developing relationships of accountability. When you begin to tell others about your weaknesses and your struggles... When you, in, in trusting relationship, have others that can shore up those areas around you, it will encourage you. What you're doing is dragging things into the light because, you see, Satan wants to do nothing more than divide and conquer. If Satan can get you to keep your hidden fault lines hidden, then he can slowly but surely destroy you. So when we drag those secret things, those shameful things into the light, then we're able to better resist temptation. So it's the strength of joy, the wisdom of accountability, and thirdly, the sword of the Spirit. And this will sound so incredibly elementary to most of you, but think with me. There's amazing strength in knowing and following the Word of God. When you begin to hide the Word of God in your heart, the Bible says that you will not sin against God. In all of this, if, if I had to just boil it down, I think I could best do it with a simple story. There was a man who was dying of cancer. His daughter called the pastor of a nearby church. The pastor came and he said, well, you must be expecting me. And the man sat up in his bed and said, I don't know who you are. He said, oh, your daughter didn't tell you? And he said, no. He said, well, why the chair? There was a chair sitting beside his bed. And he said, well, you see, I had a pastor friend who had been sharing the gospel with me for years and years. I'd pushed him away. I, I finally came to the place of being saved, and, and then I was unbelievably embarrassed because I didn't know how to pray. He said, it took my friend Sam, who's a shade tree mechanic, it took his homespun wisdom to teach me how to pray. You see, Sam told me that praying is just exactly like talking in conversation with anyone. And he said, if I would pay attention to Jesus as a friend and pray to Him that way and long to honor Him and to respect Him, that, that it would be well in my prayer life. So I set a chair up beside my bed, and for the last 10 years, I've just simply talked to Jesus. He said, now I've tried to be careful at times. I'd move the chair back over so my wife and others don't think I'm crazy. But I talked to the Lord out loud, back and forth. And he said, would you mind if we pray? And the pastor prayed with this man. Two days later, the man's daughter called the pastor and said, Dad went home to be with the Lord. He said, well, I, I hope he went in peace. And she said, none of us were around, but I... I think he certainly did. He was sleeping and resting comfortably throughout most of the night. And when we came in, we found the, the strangest thing. He had gotten up from his bed and he lay in his head down in this chair next to his bed. 
Church family, when we get to the place where we decide that Jesus will be the ultimate relationship that satisfies every need of our lives, then it will revolutionize our prayer lives. It will revolutionize them because we'll see prayer is not about going to God and saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. Prayer is about going to God and saying, glory, glory, glory. It's all about you. You are my source. You are my shield. You are my shelter. You are my supplier. You are my Savior. Today, many of you probably have come into this place and you've prayed millions of times and your prayers seem like they went no further than the ceiling. Can I tell you that there's an evil one that wants to keep you apart from God, separated from God? But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus Christ has overcome the devil and he makes a way out for you and for me. And the very first step of the way out of sin is to turn toward Christ, to place your faith in him and all that he did for you on the cross of Calvary. And His resurrection offers to us life. Today we're going to have a time of decision. Very simple. If you've never trusted the Lord, maybe you felt separated from God. You are because of your sin, but He has made a way for you to reestablish a relationship with Him, to establish that in Christ Jesus. You can be saved this very day. And so as our musicians come, we're going to stand and sing. Members of the staff will be here. Perhaps the need of your life today is to be saved. Perhaps the need of your life today is just to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you this very week to protect me. I want you to show me the way out so that I will honor you in every single decision. That sounds simple, doesn't it? It's not easy, but it is simple. We trust the Lord and obey Him. Let's stand together and sing. Church family, I have the privilege of introducing to you Landry Boone. Landry, come on up. I got a call uh, this week, Greg. 
uh, called and, and shared with me. They're relatively new to our church family, and Landry and our Heidi are, are dear friends and, and uh, just love to, to get together and be together. And Landry's really enjoyed, I think, being in our church family and our children's ministry. And uh, Greg called me and shared with me that she had prayed to receive Christ this week. And we celebrate that. Amen. Landry wants to be baptized, and so we'll be doing that probably next Sunday. And she wants to be a part of our church family in a, a, even a deeper way. And I, I just shared with her as I prayed what incredible blessing this is for her that she has trusted Jesus so early in her life because she gets to serve Him for the rest of her life and have that shelter. What a great joy. I'm going to ask Greg and Nikki if y'all will to come, and Braxton if y'all will come and just stand with her. And uh, we're going to pray, and after we pray, you'll want to come by and greet them and uh, just celebrate this victory with them and their family. We are so thankful that God is still in the saving business. Amen? What a great day it's been today to be in the house of the Lord. I'm going to ask Ken Hopkins if he would lead us in a word of prayer.